You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series. Assault Studios production. Still not wanting to give up his dreams of being a lead guitarist in a rock band, Paul Parola tried to focus the early part of his career on music production. After sending out a bunch of introduction letters to studios across Melbourne, Paul was left with the choice, pursue music production or try film sound production. From this point on, as Paul says, he never looked back and he was able to build a successful career within the film industry. In this episode, Paul takes us on his career journey which led to Hollywood and to starting his own Melbourne-based sound production company. Paul, so you've finished high school, you've gone through Crawford's and you know that sound is the industry for you, but where do you find your opportunities? I thought I was going to be a guitarist and my interest lied in in trying to record and write songs. So for the first year out of school, I saved up to buy a a piece of equipment, which was a a four-track recorder so I could record music. And very quickly... I was just fascinated at the technical aspect of recording. So I played less guitar and just uh, found ways of of learning more about recording. One being I I joined a one-year part-time course at SAE. Um, So it was two nights a week and it was all about recording bands and music and microphones and tape recorders and, and all of that. And I was just like, everything I saw was, every door that was open was just fascinating. And I was just desperate to to get into that field. And so I set myself a goal where I thought I'd wait, uh, wait a few months till I had a little bit more experience in the course. And then I just opened up the phone book, which we don't even have anymore, but the equivalent of just Googling businesses in the area. And I sent off a, a, a bunch of letters out of 10 letters that I sent off, I got two replies. And one was the biggest music studio in Melbourne, a studio called Metropolis, where that Ernie Rose uh, owned and, and managed. And so I got an interview there and at the same time got an interview uh, at a studio across the road at this little known studio called Sound Firm. Anyway, cut a long story short, I got the, an offer at Sound Firm now, Sound Firm did work on films and television, and Metropolis worked on music albums. Just by that sheer coincidence, I you know, found myself in a place doing film work, and then never looked back. I've been doing that for like 30 years. And the other thing about the film work that I loved was every single movie is different, and so the sounds that are needed on every single movie are, are different, and so... For even after 20 years, I'd say to myself, it's it's like showing up to a new job every day. In the early part of your career then, what are some of the responsibilities within the roles that you've got? What are you doing when you turn up nine to five or whatever the time frame might be? The thing about film sound is it's very labour intensive. Usually it takes about three months for us to do a soundtrack. The beginning part of it is capturing sound. So we might, you know, uh, recently... We did a Liam Neeson film and they used a particular car, a really supercharged car called a Dodge Hellcat. It was quite a unique sounding car, so we had to go out and record that. So we put microphones all over the car, like in the engine bay and on the muffler and went around a racetrack with that. 
so capturing the sounds, it might be going out just recording ambiences like trams in the city or people in a bar. And so, sorry to cut in, but did you just walk into a bar with a microphone and keep it under the table discreetly or how do you go about that? you got to organise it? Sometimes you got to organise it and, and it's a little bit staged, so we might get actors and we bring them into the studio and we pretend that it's a bar scene and we're all talking like we're at a bar. But other times, yes, I will be discreet with a microphone and actually just go to a restaurant and record the sounds. Without picking up any individual people, the sounds you would get in the real world is more just the generic hubbub of, of a group of people. And so some of the other things you're working on there, like, uh, you know, let's go back to the, the Liam Neeson film and the car. So you've got to find someone who has that car and then hire the car out, rig it with all the microphones, hire the race track out. So it's not just sitting in a studio, is it? No, about 10% of it is out in the real world capturing sounds. You know, there's always some new sound to get or a new way of recording it. And one of the beauties of film sound is is playing with this balance between reality and make-believe and so a lot of it is finding the real thing the guy that does the sound for say the uh christopher nolan movies like inception or dunkirk or batman he's he's very good at finding real things that work in the real world can you Give me an example of that. Well, like recording the aeroplanes in Dunkirk. I mean, he went out and, like I recorded the Hellcat, recorded the real planes. So uh, I guess the process is when a movie comes through, you and your team, you sit there and watch it from start to finish and you, you have a notebook and sort of say, okay, well, scene four, 22 minutes in, there's the the aeroplane or there's the car. And do you note down everything that has to, every sound that has to be identified and then you go away and find it? Is that sort of the, the process? Pretty well. Uh, there's that, there's planning, and then there's also a little bit of just trial and error experimentation and and then there's also just experience over time where you just know that certain things can be done in a certain way. Have you ever had a sound that you just couldn't identify? Every film has one of those. Everyone. One of my very early experiences was a, a film called Strictly Ballroom and there was the finale scene was where the two heroes are dancing and the villain pulls the plug from the PA system uh, in a dance competition. And one of the parents starts clapping and we're in an auditorium, like 10,000 people, like Rod Laver Arena. And the, the scene was they were meant to like slowly start clapping and, you know, the whole crowd of like 10,000 people clapping, clapping, clapping so that our her- heroes could dance and finish their, their routine. The, the scene was designed to go for like 20 seconds and when they edited it together, they realised it wasn't working so they had to make it much longer. And so then if you watch it, the people are clapping and like when they're editing it, you're watching one person go clap and then on the next shot they're going clap, 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 clap and then the next shot slower again, next shot faster and, and it just, you couldn't put the sound to it. So we actually had to make the sound all wrong to the picture. But as a viewer, you wouldn't pick that up? No, because you're hearing the sound and thinking that was attached to the picture, but it actually wasn't. So how does a boy from St Kilda in the late 80s end up in Hollywood? Again, I mean, I just wrote to people, anyone that I'd met, I kept in contact with. So a few personal contacts and... Literally, 
uh, landed in LA with a lot of support and a lot of help from some, you know, some people and just knocked on doors, just, you know, as they call it over there, walking the pavement, just uh, knocking on doors and asking, you know, to help out on things. It's obviously the summit of the the movie industry being Hollywood. Uh, was it always a place that you felt destined that you needed to be in? Yes and no. It was a little bit scary because it's such a big industry over there. And here we were doing some fairly high-end things, but in a much more comfortable, cosy boutique environment. But seeing that business side of the industry was was quite interesting. The, the, the week after I got there, there was a writer's strike. So I'd be arriving to work, driving by Warner Brothers Studios and by Disney, and there'd be people picketing the studios. What is life like over there for an Aussie in LA? In the film industry, it was it's super. It was just so much fun going to work and in these amazing facilities where there was like some of the best studios in the world working on some great shows and but very very competitive was it a case of majority of your time was spent working so it was about building your career yep yeah i had very little time you know away from it how long were you there in la for four years why did you feel as though you needed to come home basically came home for family I was there with my family, but, you know, wanted older family and Melbourne is always home. And again, by chance, since I've returned home, I, did, I didn't think that this was going to happen. But now, you know, the whole world of the internet, being able to work in different locations. So effectively, I'm doing full-time work for American studios here in Australia. So they're literally just sending me the files we do the sound work here and then we send it back. It's like based on a, a contract that you pitch for or...? Like personal relations. So a personal relationships. So the people that I became friends with and worked with over there, you know, even people that I didn't really know that closely, they'd remember, oh, that was that guy, that Aussie guy, you know. And so when it's not just a voice on the end of a phone... There's someone, you know, that they remember when I was there and, you know, we do good work. It sounds like you place a, a high value on building relationships, which I totally agree with. For the students listening, the particularly the creative-minded ones who want to make it in the US or in Hollywood, what's some advice around following your lead and, and building those connections over there? First, get established here. The other component that I probably didn't mention uh, in which helped me get over there was working here in Melbourne on some very established projects that were recognised over there. If I didn't have that, no one would have really paid attention when I said, ah, this is so-and-so who's done this. So definitely finding your feet here and being able to work as a team is, is a really big thing. Even if it's only two or three people, teams of that, or it might be 10, it's, it's not huge teams, but having a mindset of respecting the other people and communicating clearly with them. I think they're probably the most important attributes. What about dealing with rejection? Because it happens a lot in your industry. Really, really good question. That's something that over time, I think confidence grows. I think that you have to welcome mistakes. Once there is more experience, 
the failures then don't hit as hard. <laughs> I mean, I make so many mistakes. So. When you talk about building the experience, is that based on a number of projects or a number of years being in the game or is it just a, a collection of both? I think it's just a collection of both. Every project is a unique experience. Uh, every film's different. One film needs uh, this type of sound, another thing needs another. So there's always always something to learn. And is Hollywood as cutthroat as it's made out to be? Yes, but I think everywhere's the same. It's just bigger. It's a bigger pond. So yes, there might be more sharks, but there's also a lot more friendly fish. So uh, I think the important thing is to make sure you you get surrounded by good people and, um, you know, but there's, there's always going to be sharks. So you've come back to Melbourne, you then start Boom Tracks. Why did you identify or how did you identify the opportunity? I had a few opportunities to pick up a film project and then one project took me on to another and then another. And then, you know, soon I, I found myself really overseeing the, the soundtracks and, and providing a, a team for filmmakers. So it was just one of uh, very, very much starting small and we still are fairly boutique. You mentioned before that uh, given we're in the internet age, you, people can work from wherever in the world. Is the, the makeup of your staff, are they generally Melbourne based? I've got people in New Zealand. It is mostly, mostly Melbourne, but I've got people all, all around the world pretty well. There's a guy in London. So how do you manage the team online? The old fashioned way of picking up the phone. <laughs> talking to people. The biggest challenge about managing the team is communication. So just simple schedule, communicating, you know, what deadlines are, you know, just talking to people as as though you were just walking into the next room and saying, hey, you know, let's listen to this or do that. So you mentioned a a Liam Neeson film and Strictly Ballroom are two films that you've worked on. They are not the only ones. Uh, You have worked on a phenomenal amount of projects. Can you just run me through some of them and how uh, you came to be involved? A lot of Australian projects early on and then luckily enough the guy that I worked for got involved in the Chinese films and there were some amazing films that uh, had the opportunity to work on like House of Flying Daggers and Hero, a very conceptual sort of martial arts type movies, um, lots of Jackie Chan movies and then... I got the opportunity when I went to LA to work on Kung Fu Panda. Had an amazing time working on a film with Tony Scott. There was a a movie called Night and Day, Tom Cruise film. And currently we're just finishing off a a really big film, a Roland Emmerich movie called Moonfall. Fair bit. I mean, I could throw some other names at you as well, like Wolf Creek, and there's plenty in there. You can certainly look at that online if anyone's keen on that. Uh, What is the future of the sound industry? As I mentioned, the, the sort of work is still very labour intensive. I mean, there's a lot of computerization, like it's all computer. But funnily enough, it takes about the same amount of time. And so many people would have thought with the onset of computers like a number of years ago that, you know, we were going to be out of a job and, you know, what used to take us three months now would only take us three weeks. But it's still... There's a lot of manual work that goes into it, so it's it's labour. It's a little bit like being on a building site. You know, it still takes time to put the house up. The future is is keeping on top of new technologies. Uh, I feel pretty positive that we're you know there's always going to be a need for people and talent. Uh, uh, you know, people who are good. 
What are some of those new technologies that are coming through? We used to mix a show and on the couch there we'd have, you know, three people coming in and the director and producer and we'd spend a week or whatever and they'd go through the film and, and we'd make changes and, and adjust the sound. Suddenly no one could come in, so we had to find ways of doing it remotely and over the internet, sending a high-quality sound mix over the internet to multiple people in different places is a little bit different than just a Zoom meeting. What's your biggest piece of advice for students coming through about how they can shape their career? Try something. If you think it's as vague as I'm interested in sound, then just try something to get started with and that might lead you somewhere else and then somewhere else. It's just about just keep moving forward. Yeah, wonderful. Paul, thank you very much for having a chat. Pleasure. Paul has achieved a lot, especially considering he was a disengaged student who just wanted to be a rock star with no other plan. But now, Paul's story proves that if you unearth a hidden talent and that's matched with passion, you can go a long way in your career. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series. Assault Studios production.